How big is a billion? I hear my daughter say this sometimes that, you know, when she wants to really exaggerate a number, she say it was, there was a billion, there was a billion of them. Not dad went just a million, there was a billion of them. Sometimes to understand um, how big a number really is, we have to consider it relative to something else. So let's talk about how big a billion really is. If you took a million, with an M, a million steps, you'd go about 800 kilometers, like you're to Quebec City. If you took a billion steps, you'd circle the earth 20 times. That's a marathon a day for 19,000 days. If you counted to a million and all you did was count, one number per second, and that's pretty fast because it takes a while to say 756,248, 756,249, takes a little while. So counting one number per second is pretty quick. You didn't sleep, you didn't eat, nothing. All you did was count 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It'd take you 12 days to count to a million. And that's a pretty big number, 12 days to count to a million. How long would it take to count to a billion? Just shy of 32 years. Today, there are 1 billion people in the world that are hungry or are dealing with food insecurity. 1 billion people. 1.5 million died from coronavirus this year. 9 million died from hunger. Here's what that means. That means you go like this. One, two, three, one. One, two, three, two. One, two, three, three. Every three seconds, because of hunger, someone loses their life. This is how bad the hunger problem is in our world today. And look, I understand that when it comes to dealing with this issue, there's more to it than just how much food we have and distribution and giving to you know organizations. I, I get that. I get that there are corrupt governments. I get that in sub-Saharan Africa, other people are in control. I get that there are uh, tyrants involved. And I, and I get, we, so we can't do everything for everybody, but we can do something for somebody. And today, I want to talk to you about doing something about the hunger problem in our world. Most of us don't understand our hunger issue globally for a couple of reasons. One is we don't understand that number and how astronomical a billion really is. And I've tried to help us do that a little bit today. And we also don't understand hunger because most of us have really been in control of our food intake since we were little bitty. I mean, think about it. Every time that you were cried when you were two weeks old, your mama fed you. 
And then when you were a toddler, you were pretty much in control of your food intake. If you said, mama, I'm hungry, your mama would feed you. And there were times when you wanted to stop eating and you didn't want to eat vegetables that you just closed your little trap shut, wouldn't you? Remember the airplane? Oh, open up, open up, open up. And your mom or your dad trying to get you to eat something. And if they put pears in there or something sweet, you love it and you eat it, you go, mmm, I love that. And then if they put peas in there, you go, and you spit it out. And most of us are in control of our food intake now. I mean, you might not be able to afford gourmet meals every night, but you can afford something. And most often, it's not just something that you can afford. You likely have options of what you want to eat. That's what it means to live in Canada. Not all of you, but most, the vast majority of us don't really know what we're talking about when we say the word hunger because we've been in control of our food intake most, if not all, of our lives. So when we talk about hunger and those billion people and what it means to live hungry, listen to how the United Nations defines hunger. Hunger is periods when populations go for days without eating due to lack of money, lack of access to food, or other resources. And I don't know about you, but I don't remember the last time I went days without eating. This is not a feeling of peckishness. This is starvation. This is your body starting to shut down. This is mental clarity being compromised. This is uh, rapid weight loss. This is energy deprivation. This is uh, all kinds of physical things happening to your body and your mood and your family because you don't have requisite nutrition. There are a billion people in the world dealing with that right now. So we've identified our problem, haven't we? A billion people in the world often go days without the requisite nutrition that they need in order to survive. Nine million people will die this year because of hunger. So what does the Bible say? What does God say to us, his children, his adopted, his beloved? And how does he commission us and charge us to address this problem in the world. What is the something that we can do? Well, here's the deal. The Bible talks quite a bit about this. I've seen estimates as high as 5,500 verses in the scripture that directly address uh, dealing with, caring for, and providing for the poor. Now, I'd like to read all 5,500, but we don't have time. So what I'm going to do, I just picked a couple, and I'm going to go through them very, very quickly, really just to make a point that the Bible talks about this over and over and over again. Luke chapter 3, verse 11, he who has two coats, let him share with the one who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. Psalm 41, 1, blessed is he, happy is he who considers the poor. Proverbs 14, 31, he who oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is kind to the needy honors him, that is to say, honors his maker. Proverbs 21, 13, he who closes his ear to the cry of the poor, will he himself cry out and not be heard? Proverbs 28, 27, he who gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Probably my favorite one of all, at least the one that resonated with me most this week is 1 John three seventeen. If anyone has the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, 
How does God's love abide in him? Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That verse uh, reminded me what my friend Julie said last week as she preached about human trafficking. We cannot simultaneously say that we love God and ignore the plight of the oppressed. That does not work, friends. The Bible shows us and Jesus in his very living and dying shows us that we are to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others in our life. We are to care for the poor in the world. There is no other way to live the Christian life. We must align ourselves with kingdom values and care for the poor. We cannot simultaneously say that we love God and ignore the plight of the oppressed. All right, so here's where we've come from so far. We've identified the problem, and it's not a small problem, is it? It's a billion. It's a big problem. It's a big problem. And we know what the Bible says to us about caring for the poor. But I've asked myself even this week, and you may be asking yourself now, what, what can I do? What can I do? This thing, is, this thing is too big. It's too multi-layered. It's too complicated. It's too complex. There are so many layers to this, and, and we can't possibly peel them all back. I mean, if you do your research, uh, most organizations that are working to solve the world hunger problem would tell you it's not even about money, really. I mean, there's food, food distribution involved, and again, corrupt governments and all kinds of things. But for us, the question of this series and the question for us as individuals, as people who follow Jesus, is is simply this, what can I do? I, I can't do everything for everybody. I can't solve the big problem, but I can do something for somebody. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, Uh, we would just invite you to join us on mission uh, to solve some of these issues in the world and and to do what we can do, all the good we can for all the people we can for as long as we can. We would invite you to consider some of these uh, action steps in your own life in order to push back against this really, really big problem in our world. First is this. I would just say, educate yourself. Educate yourself. Even as I was doing my research this week and I started to realize how big this hunger problem is in the world, I I was really astonished. I was taken aback and I'm thinking, I'm a pastor. I've been doing this for a long time and I guess I never quite realized how significant the problem is, what the roots of the problem are. And frankly, I don't get it totally yet either. But that really indicates the responsibility that I have as a human being and that you have too, I think, to educate yourself. And toward that end, I want to recommend two books. One is called uh, The Locust Effect by Gary Haugen. Uh, That's uh, right here on the bottom of the screen. You can pick up that book on Amazon. It's real easy to get a hold of. The Locust Effect by Gary Haugen is a great way to start educating yourself about this problem of poverty and hunger in the world. And then another book is called The Poverty of Nations by Barry Asmus, who was a friend of mine, is now with the Lord, and Wayne Grudem. Uh, Wayne Grudem is a respected modern theologian, and The Poverty of Nations really helps us in the Western world to start to understand what's going on in terms of poverty and hunger in the world. And that would just be a great first step. Begin to educate yourself. Second, 
get proximate to suffering. Get proximate. Get near to suffering. What is the biblical mandate that we have to get near to suffering? Well, it's the very incarnation itself, isn't it? It's this time of year. God, who does not suffer, got as near to suffering as he possibly could. So near, in fact, that he himself suffered. I would invite you this season to draw near to suffering. This is kind of what Jesus was teaching in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You may have heard this parable before, but one of the the really the, the critical pieces here was this rich man had withdrawn from Lazarus, who was homeless and hungry on the outskirts of the city. Outside of this gated community where he the rich man was protected and well-fed, and he ignored the plight of the oppressed. Jesus is teaching us, draw near, don't run away. And, you know, frankly, we've been trained most of our life to run away from suffering, haven't we? Mm. You know, we drive through these parts of town and we say stuff like, you know, the schools aren't really great here. You don't really want to be out after dark here. And I'm not saying put yourself in harm's way. I'm just saying that the Bible calls us, even the life of Jesus calls us to draw near to suffering. We have opportunities all the time here at Bayview Glen Church for you to do that. But even in your own life, in your day-to-day, in your step-by-step, please, please be mindful when you see hungry, broken, poor, oppressed in the world, draw near, do not retract. Third, be grateful. Be grateful. I love this verse in Deuteronomy. Um, God encourages the nation of Israel, exhorts them in this way. He says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. I don't know if that's an encouragement, but it's a neutral statement of fact. God says, therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Cool, I got it, Luke. That was kind of like some of the verses you read before. It's in a similar vein. Oh, no, I got it. I got it. But listen, a couple of verses later, here's the reason now. Here's the reason why God says, open your hand wide to the poor. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. Friends, we think, we just take for granted that we have enough to eat, that we have enough to go around that God has provided for us. And God is encouraging the nation of Israel and subsequently now encouraging us today to stop and be grateful. I used to think that, you know, prayers before meal were kind of perfunctory and obligatory and we just did it, you know? And I was like, oh man, real spiritual people, they pray all the time. They're really just praying. And now when we pray as a family, every night I stop and I thank God for the food. It's just a reminder, once I was a slave to, Once I was there too, and maybe I I have never experienced the hunger that people in the world do in Sub-Saharan Africa and all that kind of stuff. I get that. But God is charging us to be grateful. That's one way that you can do something about the hunger problem in our world. Number four, aim for zero food waste. Aim for zero food waste waste. Here's the reality. We produce enough food to feed 10 billion people a year. The world produces enough food 
grain, cattle, fruit, vegetables, all that stuff. We feed it, we produce enough to feed 10 billion people a year. How many people live on the planet? 7.6 billion. So what's the problem? It's food distribution and it's food waste. <laughs> Listen, this is how much Canadians, just Canadians, forget our neighbors to the South. This is how much Canadians waste on food a year. 1.3 billion tons of food a year. 17 billion dollars worth of food a year. Remember how big we talked about that number is, a billion. 17 billion dollars worth of food. Here's what that means. Go to the grocery store this afternoon, pick up four bags of groceries and drop one in the parking lot on your way to your car. That's how much food we waste every year. And listen to what God says about waste, about waste and how it impacts the poor. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister, Sodom. We all think we know what Sodom was guilty of. Nah, God's going to tell us it was something different. Watch. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. Friends, aim for zero food waste. It's one something you can do about the hungry in our world. Number five, empower the marginalized. Empower the marginalized. Now, I'm thinking, what, is, what does that really mean? Okay, let me just, a couple of notes here, and then I want to show you how from the life of Jesus this happens. Empower the marginalized. I'm reading uh, Melinda Gates' book right now. Melinda Gates uh, wrote a book recently called The Power of Lift. I don't agree with everything that Melinda Gates says, but she's very, very smart, and she makes this argument, and it's uh, been shown over and over statistically. When you empower women in third world countries around the globe, Problems like hunger, problems like poverty, problems like violence begin to get solved very, very quickly. You're empowering the marginalized in those countries, and those problems tend to get solved very, very quickly. Uh, there's vast amounts of research out there, vast amounts, of, you know, there's even a book called When Helping Hurts. And it's the idea that sometimes in the Western world, we go into places and we say, we're going to build a playground and we're going to set up a thing. And we're going to give people meals and no local people own that project. And they don't own that uh, from their own kind of perspective. It tends to fall apart and we tend to do more harm than good. Why? Because we have not empowered anybody. So, globally speaking, when we empower the marginalized, these issues like hunger tend to get solved very, very quickly. And you're thinking, okay, globally, Luke, I get that, but what about here? We, you know, we 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 don't, uh, you know, we don't silence women. We don't silence people. We don't silence people that are marginalized. Uh, there are seven Fortune 100 companies with female CEOs. Seven. Friends, it really is our responsibility, I believe, in the Western world, in the U.S., and in Canada to lead the way. And we're not, frankly. 
We're not leading the way when it comes to empowering the marginalized. And when we begin to do it here, the world looks to us as an example and a model, and we lead the way, and they respond by empowering the marginalized in their culture, in their society. And you might not think you can do something, but you can. You run a business. You're an attorney. You you have a family. Begin to empower those who are marginalized in our society, not just bring them up to kind of a net neutral, but empower them and give them a voice. It really does something about the problem of hunger in our world. And friends, we have an example from the life of Jesus. We really do. You know, there was a moment in the New Testament where only one person, other than Christ himself, knew about the resurrection. And that that person was female. Do you see that? You see how Jesus is lifting up those who were oppressed and marginalized in his culture? He did it all the time. He did it by casting a Samaritan as a hero in a parable that he told. He did it all the time. And he pressed back against this idea that those with privilege should be exalted. He says, no, 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 no. The humble, the poor, the marginalized, they should be exalted. And when we do that, the statistics, even from those who don't even call themselves Christian, would say, yep, that works. It works to solve global hunger. Number six, vote. Vote. And think about who you're going to vote for. And frankly, I know that a lot of us as Christians, and and this is me too, there, there are a couple of real foundational core issues that we believe in very, very deeply that shape the way that we vote. And I'm not opposed to those issues. In fact, I'm very much in favor of those issues. One of them, and I'll just straight out say it's rights of the unborn. That's a big, big issue for me when it comes to how I vote. But here's the deal. Listen to what Job chapter 34 says uh, about about those who govern. Listen, if you have understanding, hear this. Listen to what I say. Shall one who hates justice govern? That there is one of them rhetorical questions. (laughs) Those who hate or oppose justice whether they speak it or demonstrate it by their actions, should not govern. We should not vote for them. And Job goes on here, the book of Job, this is Job's friend speaking to him, but the book of Job goes on here and says how God shows no partiality and he exalts the poor and and he cares for the needy and he sees their plight and he comes alongside. And so those that govern should love justice in the same way. And so Christians, I would even encourage you, exhort you, as you vote, as you engage in politics, consider the plight of the poor and needy and how we can care for them. Uh, Two more and we'll be done. Uh, Number seven, what to do? Well, for some of you, the something you should do is go. We don't talk about this all that much because this is really a big call for people. But for some of you, I'm just going to be straight, especially young people, you want a career, you want to go article at that big law firm, and you want to go uh, work at that investment banking firm, and you want to uh, become an artist or whatever, and you feel there's a tug in your heart, a little something that's going on that's calling you to go serve the poor and the needy globally, please do not ignore that. We need people 
to go, to help, to be hands and feet, to be boots on the ground. And, and if you're kind of wondering, well, how do I even do that? I mean, I feel this tug in my heart or something. I, I, I kind of want to call us. We'll help you. We'll come alongside you. We'll resource you if you feel like you should go. If you feel like that's the something that you need to do to address this problem of global hunger. And, and finally, here's the deal. One thing that you can do is give financially. A dollar, one dollar to a food bank buys between seven and 10 meals. That's real. Can you believe that? One of my favorite verses about generosity shows up in the book of Leviticus chapter 19, verses nine and 10. Here you go. When, the, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the uh, fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Here's what God is saying. Don't max out your budget so that you can't give. Don't gather up all your grapes and have something going and everything so, so there's, there's no opportunity to give. He said, be deliberate about it. Don't reap all the way up to the edge. Leave some for the poor and sojourner. And when you're out uh, pulling your grapes into your basket, metaphorically speaking, and a couple fall on the ground, leave them there because there will be poor that come through and they can treat themselves to that which has fallen off of your crop. I think you understand the metaphor here. We have an opportunity to do that here at Bayview Glen uh, this year. If you jump on our website at bayviewglen.org, there's a little tab at the top that says do something. And we are trying to put together a bunch of care kits for Eva's Place. It's for uh, young people that are on the streets. And you know what? Uh, here's the deal. Those care kits are done. Those care kits are done. I was going to invite you to put one together, but we've put them all together already. They're all done. Not we as in staff, but we as in you, our church, Bayview Glen. In other words, check it. You are doing something. And I'm not saying be proud of yourself, pat yourself on the back. Aren't we great people? No, 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 no. But we can celebrate that together, that God is using us to do something about the plight of the oppressed and the poor in our world. Uh, we do have an opportunity to cook a bunch of meals for MIND. Uh, MIND stands for Moving in New Directions, and they are an organization that works out of government-subsidized housing in South Scarborough. It's a lot of people that live in food insecurity, and they feed those guys on a very, very regular basis. We're looking for people uh, to make meals, freeze them, and provide them for MIND. All of the instructions and the details are on our website, and there are still, still meals that need to be made for MIND. And you can do that just by jumping on our website at bayviewglen.org and, um, and, and checking out those details there. And as we approach Christmas Eve, we have one more opportunity to give generously. Uh, as you know, we've given away our Christmas Eve offering the last number of years to local organizations that are doing something about these issues that we see in our world. 
And one of those organizations this year is MIND that I just mentioned. Those guys are doing such great work in Scarborough and feeding those who live in uh, food insecurity. I had the opportunity to go down with uh, my daughter and my dad a couple years ago and serve on Christmas Day. I I just love what MIND is doing. And we're gonna give a quarter of our Christmas Eve offering away to those guys. Now, here's the deal. I wanna set a goal for us here. And I wanna put that verse in Leviticus Uh, into action as a body of believers. Over the last number of years, uh, we've given $16,000, $34,000 each year uh, over the last three years. I I would love to set a goal to give $40,000 this year. And I know that so many of us, I know so many of us are struggling because of COVID and financially, but friends, do not reap this season all the way up to the edges of your field. Dial it back and give. And you probably already know this, but as an organization, we're matching those gifts dollar for dollar. So your dollar is going to go even further to combat specifically hunger, not just globally, but here in the greater Toronto area. Let's be generous this year on Christmas Eve. Invite somebody to join us in mission on Christmas Eve. Let's give and make a dent and do something about this problem of hunger, not just in our world, but right here at home. Remember, one, two, three, one. One, two, three, two. Since I've been talking, 600 people, give or take, have died from hunger. And we can do something. It's not a guilt trip, friends. You know me. I'm not a put it on you and, you know, fear, guilt, and manipulation kind of guy. But we have an opportunity to serve with joy and to do something about poverty and hunger in our world. As we continue our worship this morning, I would invite you to prepare your hearts for communion. You know, for many of us, the manger and the cross don't feel like they're connected but truly they are. John chapter one, verse 14 says, and the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. And then subsequently that word made flesh would give his flesh, his body and his blood for us. Certainly we look back to the manger and the greatest miracle of the incarnation, but we also look back to the cross and the ways in which Jesus served as our substitute in sacrifice and gave of himself for us. And we look back to an empty tomb, our resurrected uh, king exalted now to the right hand of the Father. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, he was having Passover meal with his disciples. And uh, during the meal, he took bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this bread represents my body. It's given for you. Take eat and remember me. Would you join me in taking these elements together? Let's partake of the bread and remember the body of Christ. And after supper, he took the cup He said, this cup represents a new covenant that's ratified by my blood. Take, drink, 
and remember me. Let's remember the Lord together. And friends, every time we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. What a joy it is to celebrate that the word became flesh and gave his flesh for us. Hey, as we uh, kind of complete our worship and wrap it up this morning, we're gonna sing a song that might be familiar to you, but I want you to take note of the ways in which the wording has changed a little bit. Really think about what it is that we're singing and let it kind of permeate your heart and take residence in there and shape you for the week to come.